Have you ever found that when you're trying to resolve a mess you've got yourself into, if you're not careful, it gets worse? About about three or four weeks ago, we were back home in our house over in Somerset. We're kind of packing everything up and relocating here, as you know. And so I'm trying to get rid of some things. And um, I'm not very good at getting rid of some things. I have a special cupboard. It's called the Man Cave. Have you heard of that, ladies? It is a mystery to you, I know. But, but I keep everything in there that I think I might need at some point. And I mean everything that I think I might need at some point. And, and one of my kind of pet likes is to keep tins of paint. And I keep tins of paint that are half full, that have some paint in, because sometimes I find myself in a project, and I know it's hard to believe this, but I'm actually quite creative, where I think, well, that could just do with a little bit of that color added to it. And before I know where I am, I've mixed up a unique color that I can never replace if anything happens to it, but it, it pleases me in the moment. So I'm trying to move some of this paint because it's been there for a good number of years, and one spills on the floor. Now, I'm married to a lady that needs to be obeyed, Okay, and I know my place in the pecking order of things, and immediately it spilled to the floor. I thought, I need to mop that up. And so, like the idiot that I am, I went and I gathered some kitchen roll. What started out about this size, <laughs> at the end of an hour and a half of trying to clean, was probably nearly, well, that size there. The whole of our kitchen floor was covered in paint. Sometimes, trying to resolve a mess you find yourself making it messier. Have you ever noticed that? Whether it's your finances, you think, well, I've got some problems financially, I'll take out another loan. How many of us have ever done that? You've swapped one credit card for another. Please don't admit it in church. How many of us have dated ourselves into a mess? Before we know where we are, we're getting engaged and we think, I don't even like that person. You may have inherited a mess. You might have been left a situation in your life where things are so difficult you spent the rest of your life trying to mop up somebody else's mess. What about a moral issue? Sometimes we, we do something that's outside of the parameters of what we know to be right in God. And before we know where we are, there's five other people that are affected by some of those things. Things sometimes get messier. And the reason I think they get messier is because we start to think we have some options in the middle of our mess that actually are not good for us to even consider. So we borrow more, we lie bigger, <laughs> we destroy the evidence, we hide anything that discriminates against us, we make up a story about a text that we've sent saying it was for somebody else, it wasn't intended for you, and before we know where we are, what was just a small little problem has turned into something quite ridiculously large. Well, the good news is that we're not on our own. If you read through the Bible, you start to see there are some people who, like you and me, tried to make something wrong right by doing something wrong. And before they knew where they were, they'd made it twice as wrong as they had at the beginning. So we're going to read some of that together. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel <clears throat> Chapter 24. Now, the man in this story is a young man called David. And, um, you know, by all accounts, David was a good guy. He tried to lead a good life when he was just a boy. He was anointed to be king. And there was a big gap between that and the actual time that he became king. But actually, he did lots of great things. He killed a guy called Goliath. Anybody heard of him? Yeah, that's not a bad day out, is it? 
And he only went to the battlefield with some, you know, cheese sandwiches for his brothers. And he ended up changing the destiny of a nation. It's a good day. Come on, you miserable people. It's a good day. (laughs) David got so kind of caught up in the good thing that was happening in his life that he started, you know, being used by God to win battles against the Philistines. And he became incredibly famous in his land. It was a brilliant thing that happened to him. But unfortunately, he was popular to such a point that the king who reigned and ruled in the land, a guy called Saul, became exceptionally jealous of him. And in fact, sometimes he even tried to kill David, tried to spear him once or twice. I mean, I don't know what your mess is like, but it's probably not as bad as that. Yes? Anybody been speared in the last week? No? Okay, so you're doing okay then. So this problem that David has is not a problem of his own doing. And he's just doing the right thing and he's trying to be the right person. He's trying to serve in the right way. But actually the problem is escalating and escalating. And as we pick up the story, we realize it comes to some kind of climax. Now remember, the background to this story is now David is on the run for his life. Because the king who was Saul was so jealous of him, so insanely jealous of him, he was doing everything in his power to destroy him. And many, many times he tried to end David's life. Many, many times he tried to ruin things for David. And David is now on the run. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Perhaps you could put that up on the screen for me, please. Verse 1. After Saul had returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedai. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, just in case you've never read the Bible, this is the first time, and I think the only time, that a bathroom activity is recorded. I don't think there were any hand towels. That's all I'm saying. David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, can you imagine, if you were the person in this situation, this man Saul had done everything in his power to destroy your life. You're in the midst of this incredible mess that you did not cause, and all you're trying to do is the will of God, and all you're desiring to do is to serve the man who is king, and right at the gate of the cave that you've been hiding in, he turns up on his own. And he's not just on his own, he's in the most vulnerable posture anybody on their own could be. You would be rubbing your hands for glee. You'd be looking at your friends and saying, thank you, Jesus. You would be shouting hallelujah. Well, you wouldn't be shouting it because you'd want to kill him. You wouldn't want to draw attention to yourself. But actually, on the inside, you would be celebrating. (laughs) So the man said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, David's caught up in this moment He's in the middle of a mess he didn't create. He's been trying to serve God. He's trying to do the right thing. This man is desperately desirous to kill him and just about in every way possible trying to wreck his life. And obviously, as you can imagine, with his friends, they'd sit around. They'd have a campfire. They'd imagine what it would like one day whenever God would bring this man to some kind of, you know, reckon for all of the damage that he's done to David's life. And he's in the gate of the cave Slightly undressed, you would be sitting at the back of that talking to your friends in whispered tones about it being the will of God. Hallelujah for toilets. 
Praise the Lord for vulnerability. You would go through all of the motions and that's exactly what's happening. And David gets caught up in the midst of all of this kind of camaraderie. And he says, it says here that David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Well, it's kind of not the result the guys were hoping for. But actually, as David starts to think about what he's doing, he becomes conscious stricken. And having cut off the corner of his robe, he said to them, The Lord forbid it that I should do such a thing to my master. Notice the words that he's using here. The Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face on the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen? Why men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord, on the, on the Lord's because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father took this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. David had a mess. He had a mess of a magnitude that none of us in this room could ever possibly comprehend. We have made some mistakes in our lives. We have found ourselves in some situations, often of our our own doing, but this is a problem that David has when he's been trying to do what the right thing is in God's sight. And right in the middle of all of that, God allows his enemy to turn up in a place of vulnerability. But David does not take the opportunity to resolve his mess. Why? Because David believed this to be true. That something that's caused by a lack of virtue cannot be resolved by another act of lack of virtue. You cannot resolve a mess that's a problem through a lack of virtue by acting in an unvirtuous way. In fact, in the kingdom of God, you will find, in fact, today we're discovering that God is touching people's lives. And many of them, if they're really honest, realize that they're quite broken and quite in need of God's help and restoration. We would call them sinners. And look at them, they're looking at me now thinking, no, we're not. But they were because if you were not aware that you were in need of God, you wouldn't have called out and asked God to come and save you. We are all in a mess at some level, shape or form. But actually today, because they've called out to God and through an act of virtue by trusting Jesus, they have found themselves relieved from some of the consequences of the mess that they have put themselves into. Every mess comes with some bad options. But these bad options usually lead us to something that's far more difficult for us to resolve. So let me ask you some questions. Was David justified in trying to resolve the issue with his own strength? Absolutely. And if someone was trying to hunt me down and I found myself in a place where I could maybe, you know, end that problem, I probably would have the same thoughts that David had, but he did not choose that way. 
Was David doing what was expected of him? Absolutely. All of the soldiers in that room would have understood the principles that lie behind this moment. You take the king out and you take the armies out indirectly. And therefore the kingdom that David was promised would have come to pass very quickly. But David didn't do what was expected and he didn't do what looked like was justified. What David actually did was that which was virtuous. David did not seek to try and resolve his mess by doing something unvirtuous. He did the virtuous thing even though others were doing the wrong thing to him. You see, that's our tension. Every mess comes with some bad options. Every mess invites us to try and resolve it in our own strength. Every mess will cause us to think that if we do something that actually is probably justifiable, we will resolve the issues that we're facing in life. But that's not the way of the kingdom, and that's not the way of God. You see, if David had taken that option that day, that would have been written in his storyline forever. Can you imagine him coming home and talking to his children, and they're saying, what did you do today, Dad? And he said, well, I cut off the king's head. That's a legacy for your family to contend with. Not only that, but he was married to the king's daughter. So you can imagine that conversation over a McDonald's on a Sunday afternoon on Mother's Day. What were you doing yesterday, my love? Well, I was out and about. I was in a cave. And, well, your father turned up. <laughs> David opted for virtue over hurt. He, offered, he opted for the right thing in spite of all the wrong that was done for him. Every mess comes with a list of bad options. And actually your response to each mess that you find yourself in is the real story. I sometimes think that I don't understand God that well. Is there anybody who could admit God's ways apparently are slightly different than mine? I wish he would get with my program. Life would be a little easier. But, but God has taught us over many, many years as we've walked with him that his ways always work. Even in the midst of sometimes difficult situations where you're choosing the right thing when people have done the wrong thing to you, you will find that God will do something incredible in your life that will transform your circumstances and you could not have done that if you had made some other choices. Why? Because God is writing a story in you of making choices that line up with his character and his nature and his purpose. And in every mess, we get to choose whether we get our own way out of it by the bad choices that we could make or we make the right choice in the midst of a situation where everybody wants us to make a different choice. I'll tell you a private story in a public way. I came from a homosexual background, and um, when I first got saved, God spoke to me through the Bible about the way I was living my life, and he began this incredible restoration in, in my life that actually, to this day, I'm, I'm pretty excited about. I mean, you don't look like you're excited about it, but I'm pretty excited about it because I can't recognize the person I've become as a result of the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. But can I just tell you, that was not an overnight thing. There were times whenever choices appeared to me justifiable, 
But actually, I realized that God would have me make a virtuous choice, even in the midst of a circumstances where really difficult things were happening to me, and sometimes painful experiences that were unjustifiable in my life could have caused me to make some choices that would have led me further away from my relationship with God rather than closer to God. Do you know that your life is made up by a series of choices? And the choices you make today to do what God asks you to do and to follow the way that God is leading you will actually determine where your life will be in five years' time. It's a choice, not a chance, that determines our destiny. And so we have a bunch of people on the front row today who at some point made a choice to follow Jesus. I would imagine in that moment they didn't think they'd be sitting here today with hundreds of people watching them get dunked in water. I would imagine that since that moment of choosing Jesus, they've had to repeatedly make the right choice, even in some difficult situations. And being a disciple of Jesus means that we follow him out of the mess that we find ourselves in until we find the deliverance and the freedom and the goodness of God in the circumstances of our lives. It is indeed a choice each day and each moment and each circumstance that leads us into the fullness that God has for us. And I know some of the people on the front row, and I know they've had to make some hard choices to resolve in their hearts that they will do it God's way, not the easy way. You see, what happens when we do that repeatedly, and it's happened in my life, is God turns our mess into a message. He takes the little choices that we've made and the circumstances that we've faced and he gives us a message. And it's a message that's shaped by every decision that we make to do it his way and to follow him in spite of the fact that we could take things into our own hands. A number of years ago, I had to make up my mind whether Jesus was going to be my Lord or I was going to live my life making the choices I wanted to make about every situation I faced. And there was a moment, and it was a defining moment, when I could have gone as a Christian in the direction of finding a relationship with someone that was not God's plan for me. And I put the phone down on this person and I said, this is my decision. I am going to give everything I am to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, church, that day the Spirit of God turned up in my bedroom and God began to bring healing and restoration and clarity and certainty to my life. So you may be in a mess today, and if you're not, you might be next week. It's not the the, the thing that you find yourself in or even want to be in, but actually I have good news for you. God seems somehow to be attracted to mess. And whether your life is on the mountaintop or you're still somewhere under the valley... God is drawn towards people who recognize that they have a need for his help. He gives grace to the humble, but he opposes those who pretend to themselves that they've got it all together. What if there aren't any ducks to line up? What if the real answer to our situation isn't that we try and maneuver something or engineer something? In fact, the truth is it probably, just like the paint, would make it far bigger and worse than we first imagined. What if the real antidote to the problem in our life is simply this, that we allow God to come into the midst of our mess and begin to help us as he leads us to make the right choices until our mess has somehow been turned into a message of hope and restoration, healing, deliverance, and freedom. So as we conclude our little series on addressing the mess, we hope that it's been of some benefit to you You see, I'm going to leave you with this thought. 
as you look around, there's some fine people here today. Some are finer than others, but there's fine people here. But the reality is, whatever people look like on the outside, only God knows what people are like on the inside. In fact, the Bible says God does not look on the outward appearance. He looks upon the heart. And I can guarantee you there are people here today who need God to come and help them in their hearts. You see, there are only two types of people in the world. Those who admit there's a problem and those who keep running like there isn't one. You decide which one you will be.